to put in areas and species and variable rate has a big place with it. Um, and what we've found with projects we've already done by you know, adopting a process like this or, or thinking about paddocks in a different way, the sustainability credentials and what you can accrue on the carbon aspect and reduce emissions will come naturally with. G'day and welcome to the Fundswise podcast for another cracking episode. This month is AgTech August where we highlight a few different types of AgTech and this episode is no different to the others but it will be servicing a different area of the property um, for yourselves going into ag tech and agronomy and how that's working how you can improve your soils whether you're in pasture production for livestock enterprises or you're out there trying to grow some bumper crops but if you're in the mix like us mixed farmers you'll have to be doing both of those but before you do make sure you subscribe to the farms advice podcast there's nearly 50 percent of the listenership are subscribing um, and it would make this podcast go a lot further and it really shows us on this end whether or not you're enjoying the podcast so make sure if you enjoy the episodes that you subscribe to the podcast and even share it with your mates so that we can keep developing this podcast and growing the platform for australian farmers to see how we can improve today tomorrow and in the future so let's get into this episode hey hollis welcome to farms wise podcast and also ag tech just ag tech in august um a hashtag i made up the other day and it's only got my shares on there but that doesn't really matter it's about Introducing ag tech, pieces of ag tech and how we can use it to improve farmers' outlooks, but also our daily routines. How are you going? Yeah, I'm going well, mate. Thank you very much for um, having us on. Yeah, cheers. That's good. It's great to have you in the series and sort of compliments other pieces of ag tech that we've had on and will have on. Um, so it's exciting to see a different part of the farm that we'll be going to for today. But tell us how you got to the role that you are within AgriCorp, but and also like your background, how did you get to where you are? What was the journey? Yeah, so the journey started um, with Landmark before they became Nutrient. So yeah. in an agronomy role there um, over a few locations, so down the Riverina and then also back up in Tamworth. And then from there, as we progressed to Nutrient, um, you know, taking on more of those responsibilities and adapting to the changes, which is really good because there was a lot of insight coming in through the US which um, definitely makes you look at things differently. Um, from there, we then, for me, in my next chapter was how can I put a different approach for myself and, and work with people in a different way? So I went down the, the journey of actually establishing AgriCore as an agronomy company in the traditional consulting path. And, and from there, the things that really stuck out to us was value. So. Yep ensuring growers had um, the latest information, technical advice in the paddock, and how can we actually do things better? So this, the transition from a retail space to a consultant space, um, the dynamics change quite, quite quickly. So for us, we, we had to look at how to improve land management and then the credentials behind that to help people take that next step. 
which then we created two products called FieldCore, which is a standardized land management system, ranking soils into their potential of low, medium and high on their sand, silt and clay percentages. Yep. And then a dedicated conservation area, which is at the farmer's discretion um, to promote where they don't actually apply for its biodiversity. And that's really key to make sure that the transparency is there on farm and it's repeatable because applications we do in the paddock obviously have a long-term impact year on year. So we have to capitalise on those applications and, and make sure that the trickle-on effect's always there. And then we establish farming footprint and farming footprint is a real critical piece to giving farmers the tools to independently certify what their emission profiles are across cropping and livestock enterprises and then also in horticulture and then also their soil carbon piece. So what their baseline is, how they actually improved on that year on year yeah. to meet both domestic and international requirements. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, it sounds like you've become pretty busy um, after working at Nutrien throughout that transition. It's it's funny, depending how long you've been in agriculture, where people have picked up for, through like Dow Gettys of where Nutrien used to be and everything like that. Um, but probably set a pretty good foundation for yourself starting up AgriCore and getting those unique insights from the US? Yeah, like um, definitely the team at Nutrien um, and Landmark and Dow Gettys, there's so much wealth of knowledge there and yeah. and they are key to communities and we still have a lot of customers that work with them and, and you know, we like to compliment what they do too. So, yeah, it's a very good credit and, um, yeah, we've, Growers do see a lot of benefits out of the tech they bring in too, yeah. Very good. So splitting off your um your avenues with field core and farming footprint, do you want to go which which one's more in use? Is that like or is it just two channels that are used? Yeah, so so field core for, for a farmer to um I think the biggest path we see at the moment with with farm production and this whole world of sustainability now is that they have to follow the same road and the same narrative um, for it to work. So we see improving land management as the first goal. So looking at how variable soils are and how we manage that. Um, over the last seven years, we've obviously seen a big change in high rainfall, you know, across many regions above average. We're now seeing average to below average in some regions. And obviously those low, medium and high soils will react differently. So I think we need to look at how can we improve land management and react to what we're actually seeing to make sure we get the return. Um, the most common land management that like is wrong currently, that like the low hanging fruits for improvement. Yeah, I think at the moment, um, particularly from a drought cover, from a drought, sorry, recovery aspect, Ground cover is a big thing. So maximising ground cover in, in certain zones um, across a field. So one instance where we're actually playing that when we see above average seasons or average seasons on a variable rate path, we're actually increasing our sowing rates across our low and medium areas. So yeah. when we do hit that below average area, the plant population, essentially the biomass has been there to increase ground cover across those zones. Yeah. So giving guys the ability to view that and, and make changes reactively, that's 
that's the first part we see with the land management. I guess the other side too is from a fertility aspect too, um, and the nitrogen debate with supply, pricing, and access. Um, we can definitely improve how we place nitrogen. And I guess the questions on why we're applying that rate. So that's where we're really seeing variable rate come into its own with nitrogen decisions, which obviously has a big correlation to soil type with low, medium and high and how they react as well. Yeah. So there's definitely a big a big place in that that we see on just those two instances, yeah. And was there like an eventuation from the, the land management um, and what like the next things are for building that out? Yeah, so from, um, we're really trying to re-educate growers to think about low, medium and high. Yeah. Where moisture sits. Do they put it in overdrive? Do they set the gear back? Um, and to make their application decisions come back to that so we know which way to funnel that. Um, now if we can get them to think more along that, which is where we've come up with a bit of a tagline, no two fields are alike. Yeah. If they can start thinking down that path, well, that's going to help them when they do seasons um, in comparison to the blanket approach. The blanket approach, um, you know, it's it's hard to set a crop up to manage to what our conditions are. And a classic example this year was with planting conditions on canola across high, medium and low as far as how they reacted and where moisture sat for planting depth. Um, for guys in the north, we definitely saw conditions in the medium and low areas not favourable. So the decision not to plant canola was very easy. Whereas if we didn't have those tools, it would have been we had to have it planted by this date because we've done it for so long. Um, and thank God we didn't do that because at the moment it's been unfavourable. And it wouldn't have been a favourable, um, sorry, not the outcome. Yeah. It's a bit of heartache. And there's a fair few questions about the sowing depths um, of how it is. And then like some were saying, yeah, they're just sowing just through the crust, um, waiting for so they can get the most out of the next showers. But the other ones are like, no, I'm ploughing down um, to get the moist, maximise the moisture that they've got left as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, it, you know, it's a bit like the time of sowing debate too. Um yeah. From a consultant, then we can put so much information in front of people that this is what you should do. But at the end of the day, the true operators like yourselves that are on their farms that are seeing what the weather's doing, what the temperatures are doing, um, and seeing how those soils are reacting, you guys make the best judgment call on where it sits because, yeah, it's all farm specific and field specific. And a classic example this year with how cold winter became was where ground cover was at its highest, how cool soils were just the difference between disc and time machines on crop response, huge. So time machines had such a better response than discs. So, so what yeah. um, what tools are you using in, like for the low, medium and high? Um, like are you using moisture probes or how does, what assists you? Yeah, so field core is designed um, by taking in a few data sets. Yep. So we look at how we take in um, farmers' data across either yield, um, we've tried to keep it very open to growers and how we determine that before we ground truth. So things like yield, um, EM38 maps that we process ourselves um, and stacked NDVI in conjunction with LIDAR data. That's how we determine the zones before we ground truth. And then the ground truthing was soil testing. Every zone's tested, every field's tested. Yep. Um, and it's all reference, GPS reference, yeah. What um what's a zone like? Do you say like you can't go any bigger than 
a K squared or is it coming down to a hundred meters squared when you're in the pasture sort of places? How does that? I work? know. Break so down? it's all it's all gridded on a ten meter by ten meter grid. So um, that's how the data is actually grouped, and then from there we look at how the data ranges. So yeah, and that's how we determine what the, what the zone actually is. That that wouldn't be taking soil um soil tests every ten meters, would it? Like it? No, no. So we actually they're they're taken across zones uh, yeah, of the, the of zones. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Beautiful. And the farming footprint, the other service of yours. Tell us a little bit about that. And um, does it sort of run after your field core land management um, for people utilising it? Yeah, so farming footprint, um, we're quite lucky. So um, farming footprint takes in, it's validated through field core maps ideally yeah. as to what's been applied to a paddock um, to help validate what's actually going on. We then look at all our livestock, you know, orientation, so numbers, what species, et cetera, um, for the methane component, yep. the cropping with obviously total yields, inputs that we've applied to determine our greenhouse gas portfolio on that as well. Um, logistics, energy, and obviously landscape being soiled. So farming footprint brings all this information in to validate what our profile is, where do we sit soil carbon baseline-wise as well yep. to give a farmer a true snapshot as to what their business is and their responsibility. Um, we encourage people to go down the field core path with that um, because the transparency is far greater um, than current methods out there at the moment. But it, it's open to all landholders how, how they want to take it. I think the biggest piece is how do we take the information in how do we make sure it's very transparent um, and validated? So it gives growers like yourself the confidence, well, this is what our commodity is and what our produce is. I want to access these other markets. Here are my credentials. Yeah. You guys own the information. There's no lockouts. There's no ties to anything. I think that's really critical because you guys work very hard for your asset. Um, yeah. Where, you know, service providers are there to assist. That's what, that's what our view is, yeah. Yeah, definitely. What's the uptake sort of been with that and like with the traditional sort of outlook of what agriculture farmers can have, um, have they been looking towards having those credentials to back up what they're producing um, within the, the start of the production? Yeah, so we are seeing an increase with growers. Um, and I, I, what I really like about it is walking growers through this process. So when you're working with them on the day-to-day -day stuff on the agronomy front and production, and when you see them improve land management practice and savings and getting yields, winning competitions, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the next stage and the next chapter is, well, how can I reach these sustainability goals and how can I start to leverage what I'm hearing so much about? So we are seeing a pretty big uptake on, on that process, but it, it's more about getting the groundwork right up front, seeing the benefits on farm, then they can start to take that next step. And um, we've had a very good result with um with a farm at Gloucester, so being Macca's Angus, yep. where we've achieved that carbon neutral status. Um, Gloucester's a very different landscape in comparison to say Moree, where you know you've got such a huge topography change. So there were challenges there, but they're approaching 
their farm, how do we improve fertilizer application? What forms are we doing? How can we reduce that? How can we actually look at improving pasture species and where we place that to the soil types? And through that, and then the process of farming footprint, they've been able to truly validate their emission profile, their soil carbon position. They've got the data set that can illustrate that too. So yeah, no, it's definitely a flow of or a domino effect with, with how, how the process works. Um, but it's been achievable. I think that's that's probably the biggest thing that it's not a daunting experience. Um, the reality is the majority of you guys are already doing such a great job. Let's just piece it together so it's A, repeatable, it's affordable, so it can be adoptable. Yeah. If for anyone that's seen what like Macca's project that you went through you guys at AgriCore, what's like what's the follow-up of this after your sort of baseline? Um, you get your carbon neutrality. Um, and how that sort of works, what and how frequent is the sort of follow-up to be retesting and um, sort of reanalyzing what's going on under the soil? So we see um, one of the key things we see with anyone going down this path is that carbon neutrality is the secondary benefit of doing best practice and production. Yep. So we see that as the second tier thing. So every 12 months we recalibrate our soil tests so we're taking them every 12 months and we're looking at a soil nutrition and structure. And then the carbon tests were also taken at that point too. So again, and the challenge I think industry faces to maintain a carbon neutrality claim um, and the way this whole space is changing across all industries, not just ag, yeah. on the accounting base, it has to be done annually um, just to make sure it's valid. You know, it's, it's no different to other people from other industries making a claim may not stack up they've got to go through the formalities every year i think this should be adopted too and and i guess this is just my view and opinion if we can encourage more soil testing annually and we can have programs to support that farmers can actually understand nutritionally what's going on in the structure so they can make the best decision that day with their investment and then the second piece where we can collect the carbon stuff as well while we're at it so we can prove what we've sequestered where do we sit the data sets there, the layers are there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that's probably the way to look at it, um, that it is the second sort of secondhand value off the back of it. Um, because obviously we want to do best practice on farm. We want to get the most out of our soils so we can turn turn off the most, have livestock on for less amount of time and everything. Uh, what sort of depths are you doing those at? Is it a chicken scratch or is it six foot cores? Yeah, so um. So it ranges. So for some farms, it's so the minimum requirement is to 30 centimetres. Yep. And then some other farms, we do go down to a metre. Um, this question always comes up when we talk about soil testing depths. And to keep it agricultural as such, <laughs> I think um, for some places, they've only got 30 centimetres of soil. So there's no point going to a metre where they can't make a management change. But there's some other luxurious places that have well and truly beyond a metre of soil. So... Yeah, it's a case-by-case case scenario, but we ha you have to make sure the minimum requirement's done at 30 centimetres. And and I guess the next step is what soil types are we dealing with in depths? And then how can we actually match a farming decision or an application decision to improve what the carbon essentially is going to happen? Yeah. And like time of year, testing your soils, does that impact it? Like if you test it midwinter and you had frosty mornings compared to 40 degree days in the summer? Yeah, 100%. So again, it's all region specific. Yep. So 
ideally coming out of a growing season and towards the end of it, sorry, at, yep. ideally prior to the commencement of the season is the best price, best place yep. because of mineralization and how that works from an organic matter perspective. Um, so we try to work always within that, within regions as best we can. Beautiful. And working with the seasons, like we came off a fair few years in drought um, and then looking at average and then above what we probably had the last two years and we're tending towards average um, at the moment. What and how how can we sort of look at these and what sort of timeline should we be looking to readjust, adapt and probably get the most out of our like current scenario within agronomy? Yeah, it's definitely evolving. And I think for the agronomists that are listening, we are probably reducing our residual usage because of the plant fat constraints, which is a genuine risk for the carryovers. Um, I think it's a good reminder for everyone to think about what their regions are doing and what their average conditions are to go back to what they would traditionally do from an application point on, on rates. Um, I guess just being pretty fluid. So how we approached last year in an agronomy sense with the huge use of fungicides, the reality of this year, it just hasn't been there. Um, one of the things we're really stressing with clients at the moment is nitrogen and the forms of nitrogen. So to mitigate that total requirement, when we don't have favourable rain for top dressing, we're now we're in a place. So um, yeah, that topic's definitely coming up and, and growers have been very receptive because you know, how do we adapt? How do we reduce this risk? Yeah. Um, it takes a lot of planning up front. Yeah. yeah. Probably being a young bloke um, or young woman within agriculture, nothing's more frustrating to me not being like able to get something in the crop into the paddock, a crop or something, a pasture, because it's not the right time. It's a bit too dry. But like, is there, are we working towards a sliding scale to get the most productivity out of that? Or are we looking to rest these paddocks? Um, if we do have that data to back up, like we've sort of missed the mark for this year, this season, and maybe put in a summer crop instead? Yeah, so um, again, the best preparation we can have to the paddock from yeah. a cropping angle, um, keeping our options open. So, you know, herbicide restrictions with plant backs, um, the ground cover aspect to being able to react to that um, and starting to prioritise fields. So what are the likelihoods? So at the moment, we've got growers there that have, well, I'll give you some scenarios where barley hasn't been favourable because something as simple as seed vigour was reduced. The real cool winters that we've had this year with frosts and soil temps. So the emergence hasn't been great. We're now pulling back any chance of residuals going on there with the chance of putting legumes back in there in the summer, if it does go. So, um, yeah, I guess probably the biggest thing is just keeping your options open, um, looking at how do you keep that with however the season goes. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. How does it sort of differentiate from, I don't know, say Maccas, because you've been working there, um, to pretty far out west? Is there projects happening um, far western New South Wales or the likes of, um, the wheat belt of Western Australia and what's happening in those sort of um, those paddocks. They're pretty dry um, all year round. Yeah, there's definitely um, there's definitely projects happening and, and for even clients we work with um, are undertaking that out in those Western districts. Yeah. I guess the biggest thing with carbon um, 
and I try to everything I try to do, I try to bring back to a more holistic, top view approach to you know walk through the basics. So um, one of the key things I see there is with rainforests. Rainforests were there in high rainfall areas. Obviously, one of the biggest pumps, you know, to promote carbon removal, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the expectation for Western districts to achieve what coastal districts can do, um, highly unlikely. <laughs> so yeah, I think we've got to remember that. So when it comes to policy decisions, when it comes to how does a grower in a Western district or a coastal district um, potentially be faced with any policy decisions and things like that, we've got to keep this all in context. Yep. So um, yeah, so there's definitely projects happening, but the potential of what grower A and grower can be, can do yeah, huge, huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. So like how do farmers get a start on this? Um, through using products such as like field core and everything, what would they initially need to start collecting on their own or what should they be looking at to make the next year profitable? And off the back of that, how, what's the sort of time frame of utilizing the data that we've collected and actually implementing it and starting to see some rewards on the other side from that? So I guess the biggest thing for farmers um, and agros as well and consultants yeah. is how do we how do we take the first step with it? Um, and the first thing we would like to see is having clean data sets that are repeatable um, and are very transparent. So we can build those maps out for people. Um, and I think it's really critical that through the process that growers, land, uh, growers slash landholders, consultants and agros, you know, do this together. Yeah. Um, the next step we would like to see would be this rec like a repeatable soil testing that's done on that to build that data set out. As far as the process from um, time frame from when they take that to actually seeing a result, um, the cost to implement this traditionally what we've seen with our growers has been a recovery within that season. Um, now that's also been, don't forget, on high input prices as things start to come back um, you know, with reduced input prices, seasonal conditions and the way interest is going to, um, that will fluctuate. So it could be a year, like a season and a half that, that we'll probably grow out to. But growers can definitely see the value on that decision process. So where do we sit season-wise? How are the soils reacting? Do we put this input across the whole area or do we restrict it to a certain area? Yeah. Um, that process definitely helps people. It definitely shows them the value. And... Again, by doing best practice in the paddock, reducing inputs, it improves your farming footprint. So, yeah, definitely, it flows on the flow-on effect. Yeah, and I imagine like the example you had before, where it wasn't the best season to plant canola, so they held back. And imagine how much that would have saved even the stress of going through their growing period, and it's actually not growing. Um, that's all saved, but also financially. Um, but also probably the moisture in the soil as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we haven't changed so much there just yet on the moisture front. Yeah. Um, but the cost of input, the cost of labour, um, the residual restrictions we would have had on there too would have locked us out of the summer crop potential for that field. So um, we are going through that assessment at the moment. Do we go down the cotton path or um, sorghum path? So that those decisions we've made over the next few months. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's definitely um, 
but it takes the emotion out of it. It's getting guys to look at it more on a factual basis than an emotional basis yeah. um, and treating the farm as a business, which, yeah, we're seeing a big change of that. So, yeah. Yeah, I think like over the last couple of years, just sort of running the podcast, I've sort of talking behind the scenes, everyone's taken a real keen, trying to nerd out and nearly everything that they're doing on farm. It is a lot to take in and soak up, um, I think. But you said before, emotions in agronomy. How important is this to well, for the farmers? Because you you seem to take the very scientist sort of view, um, rely on the data, um, but follow processes and you've got some frameworks there to back it up. How important is that for you and the clients you've worked with? Yeah, no, it's, it's really critical. Um, our decisions do come back to, um, again, we try to keep this process very simple on low, medium, high. Yeah. Do we put the beast in overdrive or do we just set it back a little bit so we're not going too hard? Um, it's been a great journey because we've seen such a big shift in seasons that we've seen the zones react differently. So last year, the high zones were all waterlogged and not our friend, where this year they're doing very much the heavy lifting, yeah. they're low, the low zones aren't. So they can clearly see that decisions are quick. Um, and it's it's really reignited another passion for them with their land. So that's what I like. And, you know, we talk about ground truthing and, you know, how you've got to get around and look at it all and, you know, you've got to do that. But the true ground truth is actually an older farmer who's been there for 20 years yeah. and you put it in front of him and then the three hours of discussion of how every season's gone because he can tell you across the paddock, that's really rewarding because, you know, the science and the data is actually backing up with what's physically been seen. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a, a cool aspect um, and probably a unique position of you, Hayden, and how you've sort of taken your role in um, and how you deliver your services. Is, like, is there discussion about how conservative you should be? Like, we can't be sort of 120% humming for our soils the whole time. Like like our ewes in the paddock, you can't expect them to deliver 300% of lambs each year. What, yeah. How does that play out within the soil game? Yeah, so definitely um, where people are matching what their average rainfalls are and thinking about more of the traditional consistency they've seen. Yeah. So the last couple of years, we've pushed it pretty hard to, to maximise production. Now it's really made people remind, and this goes back even pre-drought. So we've gone through those really bad years with the you know, above average, you know, going back to what we did eight, nine, 10 years ago with rates and everything like that. So people are rehashing um, how far they push country. There's been a lot more talk of letting country go through to fallow um, to build moisture and, and rest. Um, and then that's where that introduction of legumes is coming back into it. So if we can increase mineralization, if we can bring more of a natural pathway for nitrogen in comparison to the issues we've faced with the synthetic job, um, there's been a hugely discussion back on resting paddocks so that cost of legumes cost of labor and everything um for operators that you know of it's sort of working out um that that nitrogen is giving back enough to the soils rather than the synthetic sort of fertilizers it's definitely reducing the total requirement of synthetic so we, we can be more targeted in crop yeah um, we've got one grower where so there's a grower and there's five growers around him and he's, you know, the smallest, but he's trying to prove a point this year with the crop comp. So everyone's watching his Durham paddock like mad. But he put faba beans in last year, um, did a big job on his phosphorus application. 
they, you know, it's good to see that because everyone's starting to see it in the paddock. They're, they're looking at it. They bring their results together. It starts that discussion. Um, yeah, and if we can do that, I think that's one big factor how farming systems can adapt um, to making that best choice. And without me knowing agronomy too much, they're, they're planting the favour beans and harvesting them as well. They're not thrashing them back in um, as a cover crop. No, no. So they're definitely harvesting them. Um, and we're seeing markets expand for them too. So from a protein angle to stock feed, um, and that's across both sheep and cattle farms and feedlots, yeah. Yeah, our sheep definitely love them. Whenever we could get a hold of them um, throughout the drought period anyway, they were pretty good. But yeah. like as an introduction for this episode through the Ag Tech August, who is it suited to? What farmers, without saying all of Australian farmers currently, <laughs> who are the, like who's it ideal for to use AgriCore's services um, and why? Yeah, so we see um, AgriCore bidding to to growers that have definitely got their um, low-hanging fruit in order. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that being is for them to get the biggest gain um, and to get that you know, value. So we've seen a huge age demographic of that too. So um, it's not just to young farmers. There's been a lot of older farmers that yeah. um, have actually surprised a lot of people. There's one in particular that, at the local pub, he's now like a wizard on John Deere with Op Center and and how he does it, and it's just they've blown everyone away. <laughs> yeah, we didn't think he could even use a computer, and this guy's like you know a wizard. So um, yeah, so it's we we see it placing there. I think um, one of the key messages we want to stress though is that land management can be improved across everyone. Um, the cost to implement that's another factor. So again, it's got to be affordable to be adoptable. Um. And we're really just trying to take it up the next level. You know, 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago where people were fencing off soil types to certain aspects and things like that. Um, that was really the beginning of it. So yeah. we're just trying to take it to the next paddock within the paddock. So, yeah. yeah. Um, mindset plays a pretty big role in attacking this and like being prepared to do some homework on it to reap the benefits out of it. Definitely, yeah. So I'm... Um, Farmers, um, a lot of questions get asked. So we, you know, to say that people just jump in and do it would be wrong. Um, yeah. We've got people that ask a lot of questions overseas, and then they start just slowly watching and and having good discussions because it's about what they're seeing every day and how would you approach that. Um, and I think that's really key because, again, from a service provider's angle, we blow in and blow out. You guys are on the farm twenty four seven. You live and breathe that every day. So. Right. Not to be, but yeah, we're hoping <laughs> services like yourselves can help us not we maybe twenty hour twenty seven. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but yeah, so um I think yeah having a good positive mindset, um what what outcomes do they really want to get? Is it about you know being down a sustainable path or that they want to push production or yeah. either inputs that they really need to reduce? So um we try to keep it as holistic as, as possible and as transparent as possible so other agros, consultants and farmers um, can use it. So, yeah. And in the decision process, you know, low, medium and high, how does it react on below average, average and above average seasons? Yeah. Do we put it in overdrive? Do we set it back? Um, the common questions and, you know, you can get to the fundamentals very quick. Yeah. 
So farmers have a fair few questions for you. What questions do you have for farmers sort of coming on board or looking to get the most out of their soils, whether they're in cropping or livestock production? Um, is it like ask like asking the why? Um, what are you sort of chasing? Improve productions, um, get the cre credentials of what footprint sort of brings? Yeah, so the questions we try to ask farmers is firstly, um, why do they want to continue farming like is it is it um is there family you know additional family legacy they want to take on um then we look at how do they actually improve their in product like their production yeah. um with their constraints and then from an input placement as well um naturally we've got to spend less so farming is pretty simple we've got to make more money and spend literally less um, and yeah. things are getting tighter so if we can be more efficient and increase production we'll profit will come um, and then from that, again, doing the best practice and, and the day-to-day -day fundamentals, the sustainability piece comes with it. And one of the things we try to stress with that is every decision we make has an implication. So they start to think about it again in a different way, which is good because yeah. you guys have always, you know, have a thousand things running through your head. Um, something as simple as if we did 10 truckloads of commodity versus eight, well, that logistics footprint is actually going to be reduced. So something, yeah, all ramifications to the decision. It's it's a cool space and like however it goes forward, um, just allowing yourself to know what that, like what the impact is of reducing by two units um, for logistics or whatever and where that goes. But for Agricor, what does the future sort of hold? You've got um, a lot of trends sort of that you work with. Um, it is sort of a trend, but it's building out into its own sort of industry and people um, diving headfirst into these products and services and also looking for these credentials. Where are you sort of heading in the next five, 10 years? In the five, 10 years, we'd like to see, we'd like to, the first thing is to improve land management. Yeah. So if we can have that, um, you know, farmers are going to be able to combat seasons a lot more effectively. Um and it's going to make everyone's jobs a lot more easier. Um, yeah. It definitely takes the emotion out. The whole point of field call was designed to be pulled apart. So, you know, walking people through that process, how it's been done, showing them how it reacts, and then from there collecting the information to prove their sustainability. So if we can make it fully transparent, the farmer controls the information, they have the credentials, and more importantly, the confidence with their commodity to go take this to the market. And, and to essentially now start to really improve the value-adding process of their, of their product. Um, I believe we've done our part um, in that space. And again, if we can inspire change, you know, ag's moving so, so rapidly, it, it's, it's crazy. But we've got to remember the day-to-day -day hands in the soil, you know, bringing cattle in, drafting sheep, touching grain. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what it's about. Just got to do it better. Absolutely. I heard something on the radio today um, about some, some bloke rang up the radio and saying the the farmers like looking for subsidies or whatever and those ones that are sort of hanging out for them, um, whether they performed um, pretty lowly for that year and they shouldn't get the subsidies, but that's probably the whole conversation about improving how we tackle ourselves um, within our agronomy on farm and how we improve our soils. I I wanted to punch the bloke, but also thought it's a good kick up the ass for a few farmers to 
look at new ways, um, even old ways, old techniques that can sort of help and improve how we come through the different seasons from drought to rain back into a drought or something. Yeah, and I think I think the subsidy path, um, I almost had probably a similar conversation with you last week with someone else when the drought word kept coming up and I'm like, please stop. I'm all, we're all getting jittery now and nervous. Yeah. Um, the subsidy path and what we saw, I think, giving farmers the tools to do things when it's optimum or above average yeah. is going to be far more better for an outcome than waiting till it gets bad. And I think, you know, we've, we've gone through that. The change needs to start happening um, because, you know, there's so much potential when it's great, but when it's not great and the horse is already bolted, you know, it's gone. Um, and for farmers, you know, you guys have seen such a big mixed bag of emotions through dry times, above average, you know, now this, um, you know, yeah, you guys know how to roll the ride, ride the roller coaster far better than anyone. So, you know, the tools have to be there so you guys can brace it better. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It is a roller coaster. But to wrap this episode up in one piece of farms advice that, that someone can take away from your piece of ag tech that um, is implemented across Aussie farms, what would that be? Um, it's a bit cheesy, mate, but, um, Essentially, no two fields are alike, so yeah. don't treat them the same way. Um, look at them in a different aspect, and and see how far you can take it. Um, that can be improving fertilizer usage. That can be looking at where you place pastures to soil types rather than just typically putting them everywhere. Um, explore crop rotations better across those zones to get an outcome. Um, yeah, and just take it to the next level. That's it. Yeah. And I suppose the next thing off the back of that would be no corner of a paddock is alike as well. Yeah, mate. Yeah, um, we might have to actually start adding that now. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hayden, it's been pretty good to have you on and like very different sort of ag tech to what we've had on, which is what I was about getting some diverse ag tech on so farmers can listen in as they head into ag quip or something. Um, it's been pretty, I think it's pretty special um, role I have to deliver these episodes out and um, get people across those humps. We've sold a fair bit of ag tech. Um, that's not really the goal, but it's just to educate the farmers on how they can improve the, those low-hanging fruits, being ready um, and ready to surpass that and get to the big, big fruits hanging there. Definitely, yeah. yeah they're all good tools, mate, and, and how you place them and how you use them. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is all these tools fall into the chapter of the season. Yep. So you, yeah, getting that started is the first step. Beautiful. So, Hayden, how can we contact you? What's the best way? So, the best way of contacting us is either through our social media channels, being Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Yep. Um, yeah, we're one of the, the many, many ag followers, which, you know, Twitter brings all the debate. So, it's amazing how much you can find across Western Australia and New South Wales in five minutes. So, that's great. Um, yeah, and we're always happy to have a chat. Um, yeah, it's one good thing about ag, everyone's pretty friendly and approachable, which um, yeah, trading secrets and talking about what people are experiencing. Um, yeah. and that's one of the best things about the job, yeah, seeing farmers from different regions. Definitely. I'll, I'll try my best to put the links in the show notes if the sheep stay in their paddock overnight. Um, but you'll be able to find all the links in there to get in touch with AgriCore with Hayden. Hayden, thanks for coming on to the FarmsWise podcast. Yeah, thank you very much. This was an episode from our AgTech August series for this month. Once again, 
Thank you for listening to the Farmswise podcast. Share this episode with your mates, um, and they may even be able to improve their own farm, whether they're the farm owner, the farm manager, a farm hand. It's interesting um, that people attack it probably at different angles um, on the farm and how that sort of works out. But let us know what sort of episodes you'd like us to come up with on the podcast. You can email in at hello at farmsvice.com.au. We'd love to hear your suggestions to see how we can build this platform for you. But until then, next Tuesday, keep on farming.